Good morning. Thank you for standing for the reading of the scripture this morning. You know, I love this book, this Bible. And the more familiar you are with it, the more you're going to like it. And it's such a privilege to be able to hear the word of God and to be blessed by the reading of the word of God. Psalms 13, it's a psalm by David. As we said earlier, it was written a long, long time ago, but it's just as relevant today as it was then. And when you read it, sometimes you see yourself in it. And it makes you want to read further. And if you're having a bad day, you get to the point where it says, I will rejoice because the Lord has rescued me. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle in my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me, and I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Amen. Thank you so much. with that song declaration anthem that that God is good um, and that he's never going to let us down doesn't mean that we won't feel like he's let us down sometimes but that he'll never let us down such a great way to start and uh, the reason we sang that song is because we are uh, in a series of messages right now called um, dark clouds deep mercy dark clouds deep mercy that's based on the title of a book called dark clouds deep mercy which we bought about 20 copies of, and we have a few left. You can pick up at the Connection Center if you want to do that. Um, I think they're 15 bucks, but you can grab that. But that's, we, we got the title from that book. It was a book that began to be passed around among our staff, um, and, and we, it resonated with us. And we wanted to take some time to talk as a church about this topic of the way Christians grieve. The way that Christians grieve, because Christians grieve differently than uh, non-Christians, than people who, who are non-believers. We, we grieve differently. All human beings grieve, but Christians have a specific way that we grieve that is reserved only for those whose faith is in Jesus. And so we're talking about this topic because we're heading into the holidays, and while it is a time of celebration um, and fun... It is also the time of year when we are most reminded of our losses, of our hurts, pains, um, and things about life that we're going through that we're not, uh, that we don't like. Add on top of that, that the last 20 to 22 months have been such a uh, disorienting, crazy time for us as a society, and, and uh, we have this uh, collection of life that 
has caused us to experience a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions, a lot of loss, whether we realize it or not. Whether we realize it or not, we have experienced a lot of loss. And I shared this list with you last week, but I just made a list of things that over the last 20 to 22 months that we we have all lost in some way or another. We've lost our routine. We've lost time that we'll never get back. We've lost security and certainty, which is one of the great desires of the human soul. We've lost people we love. We've lost dreams, potentially. We've lost faith and authority, some of us. We've, some of us have lost our businesses or things that we've invested in or, or worked on. These are all things that have been lost. And then you add on to that that as a church, we have lost that as a church family, we've dealt with loss. We closed down our Shepherdsville campus that was uh, happening at Bullet Central High School during the, the, uh, the pandemic. And then uh, we closed down Shiloh's, our coffee shop. We've lost church members. So you come to church now and you don't worship with some of the same people that you used to worship with. And all of those things take a toll on you as a church family as, and your personal family and as an individual Loss takes a toll on you. Psychologists say that six months after you have major moves in life or death in life or new experiences in life, that if that that six months you begin to see the effects they have on your life, and if you don't deal with them, that they will linger in ways that you're not even really aware of. And so you can't figure out six, eight, nine, ten, twelve months later after something why you are feeling the way you're feeling or doing the things that you're doing. And if you trace it back, you'll realize that there were some changes some major experiences or changes in your life that you did not realize were taking a toll on you emotionally. And so I just felt like as your pastor, where we would normally do some really kind of fun, festive, everybody wear Santa Claus hats type series, um, I felt like we needed to take time as a church family to just mourn and to grieve, but to do it the way that Christians do it. And the way that Christians do it is through lament. Lament, L-A-M-E-N-T, Lament. This is the way that Christians grieve and the way the Bible uh, teaches us to do it. And the Bible gives us a model for how to lament. And the model, there's four steps. They're not really steps because they kind of happen. They can kind of move around a little bit. But four parts for how to lament that the Bible teaches us. Part one is to turn to God. We talked about that last week, that we want to turn to God. And then part two is to complain to God. We're going to talk about that this week. And then the third part is to ask God. And then the fourth part is to trust God. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. This is the framework that we have uh, for, for grieving as Christians. And lament is something reserved only for Christians. Again, all humans can grieve but only Christians can lament because we are hurting while at the same time still hoping. We are trusting in God while we are dealing with, um, with pain and confusion and, and sadness. It is this tension that we feel between the promises of God and the pain of life. If you have no hope or no trust in God, then you have nothing to hold on to. You are just mourning loss. But as Christians, we mourn loss and we look to to the future. This is what uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer called the anxious middle. He was living during the, the World War II and the Holocaust. And he said the anxious middle is where Christians live because we live in life with this, this things that are unjust and things that are wrong. And 
we feel as if we should do something about it. We feel a responsibility to do something about it or to fix it or to resolve it. While at the same time, knowing that no matter what we do, we'll never be able to create a world that has no pain, no sadness, no, no, no un- injustice, because that world is to come. Revelation 21 says that that is where there'll be no, he'll wipe every tear from our eye. There'll be no injustice, no sadness, no tears. And so we live as Christians in this anxious middle that says the world is not right and I want to do what I can in this life to make it right while understanding that it won't always be completely right until we are with Jesus. And so as Christians, we live in that place and we mourn, and we grieve, and we, and we lament that. And so that, that formula, turn, complain, ask, and trust, is what we are going to use as a church to learn how to grieve like Christians. And by the end of this series, I'm going to challenge you to write your own lament, just like we read in the Psalms. I'm going to challenge you to write your own lament, which I'm really excited about. And we're going to help you and give you the resources to do that. Um, But we're going to do that together. As believers, we're going to write our own lament, okay? So I don't have time to recap all of last week's message. I would encourage you to go back because they kind of build on each other. But I do want to just highlight one thing that we talked about last week because it's important for where we're going today. And that is um, answering, figuring out, having a vocabulary for how we feel. We talked uh, a lot last week about that, and I showed you a slide they're going to throw up about the seven primary emotions that you experience every day as a human being. Whether you realize it or not, you feel it, you experience it. These are the emotions that you experience. There are seven of them, four negative, two positive, and one neutral. Whether you say I'm not an emotional person or you're a very emotional person, you experience these, these seven uh, emotions throughout your day. And the reason that I showed you these is because most of us have learned from an early age to kind of um, not own the big words, the primary words. If I say, are you afraid? You say, I'm not afraid. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried. If I say, are you, are you angry? You say, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm a little upset. If I say, are you sad? You say, well, I'm not sad. I, you know, I'm just a little bothered. And we, we, we were taught from a very early age, like, don't be too emotional. Get it together. Don't, you know, and so we, we, feel, we feel uncomfortable kind of owning the primary vocabulary, the primary emotion. And so what, what we did is we attached some other words so that we could have that vocabulary to own how we feel and to know how we feel, to be able to talk about how we feel. And so anytime you're feeling uncertain, you're feeling afraid. Even if you wouldn't say afraid, if you're feeling uncertain, anything about your life that feels uncertain is a fear. If you feel like something in your life is not fair, you're dealing with anger. You're feeling anger. If it's not fair, no matter what it is, if it feels unfair to you, you're dealing with anger. Anything that's loss is sadness, and anything that's immediate dislike is disgust. And so... Hopefully this week you've begun to try to, to see where you're experiencing and feeling those other words so that you can label and, and give a vocabulary to what you're feeling. And the reason we want a vocabulary is because we want to be able to talk to God about it. And you don't want to just go to God and say, you know, I'm fine. I'm frustrated. That was kind of funny, right? We feel more than that as human beings. And we want to talk to our creator, talk to God about that. And so we need a vocabulary We need a way to be able to understand that we are feeling afraid, we are feeling angry, we are feeling sad, we are feeling disgusted. 
We want to be able to talk to God about it and, and to be able to explain what it is that we're feeling. That is the first step in the process of lament is turning to God as emotional as we are turning to God. The next step is complaining. Today, I want to teach you how to complain to God. Does that feel awkward at all? Like for the pastor to say today, we're going to talk about how to complain to God. Um, I have to admit to you that as I was working on the message, it felt a little bit strange to me. My dad's a pastor. My brother's a pastor. They always ask me every week, like, hey, what are you preaching on this week? And I was like, uh, how to complain to God, you know? Um, And there was something about it that felt not right, that we have kind of picked up this mentality that we're not allowed we're not allowed to, to be honest with God about how we feel. And uh, Alex, uh, Alexander McLaren, we said this last week, but, but the quote was that a thought, be it good or bad, can be dealt with when it is made articulate. We're using this throughout the series. Because it doesn't matter whether it's a good or bad thought or feeling or idea in your head. If you can articulate it, if you can put a word to it, if you can say it, then you can deal with it. It's only when you don't think you're allowed to feel it or say it or don't know how to feel it or say it that you can't deal with whatever is going on in, in, in your life. And so we want to learn that vocabulary. That was, that was last week. And then today, we want to learn how to articulate it. How do we complain to God? How do we bring our honest feelings to God? How do we say out loud what we truly feel in our souls? And this is a really important point, so don't miss this, that what what we are saying to God feels true. We want to say to God what feels true, even though it's not true. This is the key to our complaining to God is that we want to be honest with God and say what we absolutely feel is true even though it's not true. This is an important thing for us to learn because we live in a society and a culture that teaches us that whatever we feel is what is true. But that's not true. What we feel is valid. Whatever you feel is valid. If you feel it, you feel it. It doesn't do me any good to argue with you about whether or not you feel it. It is valid what you feel, but just because it's valid doesn't mean that it is true. And so as we are figuring out a vocabulary and a space to to understand what we feel, we then go to God and we communicate that. And what we are communicating to him feels 100% true. It's just not true. It feels true. It's how we feel, but it's, it's not true. And if you're a parent, you understand what this is like. I have four kids, and whenever they don't get what they want, they always claim that their siblings are my favorite, um, that, that their siblings get whatever they want, their siblings never get in trouble. Now, that's not true, but they feel like it's true. They feel in that moment like it's true. And they are saying and venting to me, their father, that it's it's true. But it's not. It's just how they feel. And the Bible has very similar language to my children, people in the Bible, children of God, talking to their father. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But these are just some statements that people made to God in the Bible. Why are other people blessed by God while I'm being punished. Why, why do you like other people more than me? This is what 
people said to God in the Bible. Why do they get what they want, but I never get what I want? People said that to God in the Bible. God, why don't you love me anymore? God, why do you hate me? These are things that people said in the Bible to God. I wish I was never born. That these are, these are things people say to God. This is not fair. This is so unfair. So just like the 13, 10, 7, and 5-year-old in my house who believe things are true, even though they're not, and they vocalize them and verbalize them to their father, In the same way as children of God, we go to our Father and we verbalize to him what we feel is true in our despair and in being upset and in being emotional. We communicate to him what we feel is true in the moment, even though it's not. And what's great about God is that when his children come to him and say, why do you hate me and why are they your favorite and why do they always get what they want but I never get what I want, God never was bothered by it. He was okay with it. That as you begin to read the Bible and read these conversations, he never struck anybody with lightning because they said it. The ground didn't eat, swallow anybody up because they were honest with him. He was okay with it because God can handle whatever we need to say to him. God already knows what you're feeling. God knows what you're feeling better than you know what you're feeling. He's waiting on you to figure out what you're feeling because he would love to talk to you about it. And so a part of the Christian journey is to figure out how to complain to God. Now, we don't need help figuring out how to complain. We know how to complain. I was driving to, we were driving to church this morning, me and my daughters, and it's my car, so I control the radio. That's the rule. And uh, I changed the song to what I wanted, and, and my daughter was upset about it, Sadie. And I said, Sadie, when you have a car, you can control the radio. She's like, oh, I will. And when I'm driving you to the nursing home, I'm picking the songs. <laughs> I laughed. It was a pretty good one. She got me on that one. But listen, that, that's in there. I, we don't have to learn how to vent in anger or complain when we don't get what we want. What we have to learn how to do is to direct it towards God. Because somewhere along the way, we were taught or picked up this idea that we're not allowed to do that. That being a Christian means that we have to kind of put this hyper-spiritual positive spin on everything. But I was thinking this week, as I was working on this message, I was thinking about the history of Christianity and how, ironically enough, if you trace it back, Christianity has always gone hand-in-hand hand with some of life's worst and history's worst injustices and pain and suffering. The, the root of, of our faith, the, the, the beginning, the origins of our faith was Abraham who had a son, who had a son, who had 12. One of them went to Egypt. The family moved to Egypt. And then 400 years later, a whole nation, God's people is there and they are being enslaved and beaten and treated unfairly as God's people. This is the origins of our faith. The New Testament, Jesus shows up and they're under Roman oppression and treated unfairly. There are other smaller examples, but then you fast forward way ahead to the Holocaust or Jewish people and non-Jewish people who, who uh, you know, were, were believers and Christians, were treated unfairly, killed. One of Hitler's first things as he was coming to power was to, was to, to destroy the church, change the creeds, change the beliefs, to, 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 to take away the... The, the history and the beliefs of the church. And, 
And then you even go U.S. history, you look at, at, at the, the slavery and, and injustice that happened to our African-American brothers and sisters, but at the same time, it was out of that African-American faith and inherited that we got so much of the soul of our, of our faith as a nation. So much, much of the way we worship and so of the way that we pray and so much of the way that we get together, whether we got from our, our, our African-American brothers and sisters who were going through incredible pain, tragedy, and suffering and injustice. And just like during World War II and just like during the New Testament, it's like the, with the Egyptians in the Old Testament, the, 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 the worst of life has always gone hand in hand with, with faith in God. And it's not that, that you put your faith in God and everything comes better. It's actually that life somehow is, is not getting better. Our faith in God, God is getting stronger. We keep our faith in God while at the same time crying out about the, the pain that we are facing and experiencing. And I want to read you an example of this in Psalm 77. Uh, Joe read Psalm 13. We read that. We're reading that each week. It's a great example of a lament. Um, but I want to read, I, don't, I can't read all of Psalm 77 to you, but the first 10 verses of Psalm 77, I want, I want you to hear how the psalmist is honest with God about what he is feeling and how he brings his complaints to God. And I want you to, as we're reading this, kind of search yourself and ask yourself, have you ever talked to God like this? Have you ever talked to God like this? Psalm 77, verse 1, it says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Have you ever shouted at God? Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven. But my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I searched my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? Verse 10, and I said, this is my fate, the most high has turned his hand against me. Have you ever talked to God like that? Have you ever been honest enough with yourself to admit that you feel like that about God? That that is actually what you're feeling about your faith and your relationship with God? And if you have felt that way or been honest enough with yourself that you've felt that way, have you ever told God that? Well, that's what I want to try to do today is I want to try to challenge you to be completely honest with God about what you're upset about. Complain to him. Be honest with him about what you're feeling in your soul. That he's okay with it. Several months ago, I, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, that's code for counselor. I was talking to my counselor and... <laughs> Um, and, uh, I was telling them about that I had recently gotten in a, in a pretty heated argument or fight with some of my best friends and that 
I didn't intend on getting in a fight with them, but I was trying to communicate how I was feeling, and I just kind of lost my cool, and and just kind of started going off and, and ranting about some stuff, and they were upset, and I was upset, and people were crying, and and I felt terrible when when I got done because I it was never my intention to be hurtful, but I I just I started saying some things and stuff was coming out that I didn't know was in there. And I thought that, I thought that he was going to say, well, hey, that's okay. Just make sure you patch it up. But that's not what he said. He said, good. I was like, huh? Good. He's like, y'all been friends 15 years and y'all have never talked to each other like that. I was like, no. He's like, well, then y'all been lying. You can't be friends with somebody for 15 years and not be upset with them. Sounds to me like y'all just had your first honest conversation. And I was like, dang. How much I owe you for that? What, what's that? That's, 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 that's good. That's helpful. But that is what relationship is, right? Isn't that when you know you're in real relationship is when you feel like you can be honest and it's not going to ruin everything. This is what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 77. And this is what we should be doing with God. So how do we do that? How do we complain to God? Well, let me try to teach you in just a few moments that we have left here how the Bible models for us complaining to God. Complaining to God usually involves two questions. The, the, the two questions are how long and why? How long and why? These are, the, this is the way that the people in the Bible complain to God, asking how long and why. And so I put together a list of common complaints in the Psalms using how and why questions to God. And I'm going to put them on the screen for you. I want us to take just a moment and I want you to see if you can identify any of these that resonate with you. That you would just say, yeah, you know what? I don't know that I would have said it like that, but I'm going to claim that one. I'm taking number three because that one, that's how I feel. All right. So let's put the first slide up there. These are why questions in the Psalms. People ask this question, these questions to God. Why are you so far away? Why do you hide from me? Why are you sleeping while I am hurting? Why are you angry with me? Why do you hold back your blessing from me? Why have you decided to be against me? Why don't you care what I'm going through? Now, I want to take just a moment, and I I don't want us to move past this. I want you to look at that screen, and I want you to read those words, and I want you to ask yourself, do you feel any of those ways? Is this a question that you have for God right now in your life? Those are why. And let me give you how. Let's go to the next slide. These are how long questions in the Psalms. How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle? How long will I feel this way? How long would the enemy continue to win? How long will you be angry at me? How long will you ignore my prayers? How long will I have to do this? Again, let's take just a moment and look at the screen and, and, and ask yourself if, if any of these questions are questions you have for God right now.
we're trying to build on each other week after week in these messages. And what I'm hoping is that as you begin to have a vocabulary and be able to admit, you know what, I am angry. It does feel unfair. You know what, I am afraid. It does feel uncertain. You know what, I am sad. It, 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 I have lost. That as you begin to admit to yourself and have a vocabulary for what it is that you're feeling and you begin to direct that towards God that you will finally, maybe for the first time, be able to articulate these questions and complaints that you have for God and your anger, fear, and sadness. And maybe as I'm saying this to you, maybe some of you, like me, grew up in church and you're wondering, Jason, are you sure this is okay? Like, are you sure that we can do this? And I would say to you, not only is it okay, it is necessary. It is a vital part of, of faith. That for you to be shaped and formed by God and for your soul to be shaped and formed by God, to be able to love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, for you to be able to do that, you have to be able to go to God and be completely honest about what you're feeling as a human being. And when we do this, we are accomplishing two things. I want to give them to you and then we're going to end together. But the first thing that complaining to God does is that it forces us to admit how we feel. Complaining to God out loud or maybe in written form forces us to admit to ourselves how we feel. And we've been talking about this, so we don't have to talk about it much here. But it forces me to admit, you know what, I am afraid. It forces me to admit, you know what, I am angry. And I don't have to feel bad for being angry. I just have to admit, I am angry. I am sad. And as I'm talking to God about it, I am owning it. I'm wrapping my arms around it. I'm articulating it so that it can be felt and dealt with. But the second thing that complaining to God does is that it forces us to admit what we believe. Complaining to God forces us to admit what we believe. And this is why it is so vital to our faith. Because as we are complaining to God, we are also coming face to face with what we believe to be true about God. Now, as we went through that list together and, and the psalmists were saying, God, why are you so far away? Is it true that God was far away? No, it was not true. But it felt true. And something happens, maybe not the first time or the 10th time, but something happens as you continue to say to God, God, why are you so far away from me that it forces you to have to come to terms with whether or not you truly believe that God is actually far away from you? Or is he close to you? You just are going through a season where you don't feel that. Is God hiding from you? No, God's not hiding from you. But it feels like he is. And the more that you complain to God about that, God, why are you hiding? Why can I never feel your presence? Why do you not want to be around me? What it does is it forces me to have to truly to come to terms. Do I really believe that God doesn't want to be around me? Do I really believe that God is hiding from me? Or is that just how I feel right now? You could go through all of these. Is God sleeping while I'm hurting? Is God angry with me? Is God holding back his blessings from me? 
Is God against me? Well, we know God's not against us. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. Does God not care what I'm going through? Of course not. Those things are not true. But logic is not what fixes your emotions. The way the brain works is that logic is just like arrows at the outside of a shield. You don't logic your way. When you see a bear, you don't go, well, you know, it probably won't be that bad. That's not what helps you. Right? That's not what it is. And so what we have to, the best way to, to, to understand or to come to terms with where we are emotionally is to figure out how we got there, not what is logical. And so as we are communicating to God about how we really feel, we're also coming to terms with what we really believe is true or not. And it doesn't mean that our feelings aren't valid. It doesn't mean that we have to apologize to God and say, God, why are you so far away? God, I didn't mean that. I know you're not far away. And we say, God, why do you feel so far away? I know you're not far away. But for this season of life that I'm in, you feel so far away. Why are you so far away from me? And you're either going to come to believe that he actually doesn't love you and that he doesn't want to be near you. Or most likely what's going to happen is that your honesty with God is going to actually help you to come to terms with the fact that what you feel is valid, but it's not true. And the more you communicate it, the more you learn what is true about God, which is going to help us in asking and turning. So here's what I want to challenge you to do today. Hopefully you took the challenge last week and read through some of the Psalms and found some language and vocabulary for your prayers. But I want to I just give you one sentence to add to the time that you're talking to God today as you're wrestling with these emotions that you're feeling. And here's the sentence, God, I know you are not, fill in the blank, whatever it is, but it feels like you are today. God, I know you are not against me. God, I know you are not vindictive. God, I know you're not punishing me. God, I I know that you're not out to get me. God, I know that you're not unfair God, I know you're never going to let me down. God, I know that you are not evil. God, I I know that you are not laughing at this. But it feels like you are today. This is as honest as we can get. And this is why Christians lament and not just grieve. Because we are saying to God what we feel is true and holding on to what we know is true at the same time. And so God, I know you're not whatever it is that you're feeling, but it feels like you are today. I want to end with a congregational prayer, and our congregational prayer today is also something that maybe you want to take with you and add to your prayer time because it is just a complaint to God. There's no resolve to it. There's no other steps in the lament. Uh, I wrote this prayer as just an honest soul complaining to God, and you can join me at the end. But it says, oh God, how long will I feel this way? How long will I be separated from you? I feel the space between us. What once felt personal now feels distant, like you have forgotten me or moved on to something else more important. Why have you not stepped in, oh Lord? Why have you not stopped the spiraling of my soul 
I look around and see those who do not love you flourishing while I am biding my tongue and biding my time. Will you join me? Oh God, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Amen.